I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of I Relaunch, and your host for today. Today, we welcome Diane Keene, currently the vice president at the National Math and Science Initiative, which we are going to discuss. Diane has one of the best LinkedIn profiles I've ever seen. So, for example, Here's how she discussed her five years at Payne Weber, the investment bank she worked at for five years before her 15-year career break. She wrote, I was hired to help build a new REIT, that means Real Estate Investment Trust, investment group within Payne Weber's investment banking division. At the time, we were overshadowed by prominent names, and I had to scratch and scramble to find the deals and build the business. How I approached the challenge. And then she actually walks through how she did it. And it's a very effective way of uh, portraying her experience on LinkedIn. So I first wanted to highlight that. And then something else she wrote jumped out at me. She wrote um, in her description about herself, rather than resting comfortably in the middle, I gravitate to the edges, the most challenging situations, stickiest business problems and organizations where I can change things for the better. In my career, that meant transitioning from Wall Street deal making to a startup operations, to internal finance. After Diane's career break, she relaunched as vice president finance at TNTP, the new teacher project, a nonprofit in the education arena. She subsequently moved to the National Math and Science Initiative where she is now. Diane, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be able to share my experiences and I hope it'll help others as they embark on their return to work journeys. Well, I'm sure it will. And we so appreciate you spending the time with us. Diane, can you start by telling us about your career path until you took your career break, please? Sure. I think I I describe it typically with one word, very eclectic, Mm -hmm. in that I tended to bounce between my two passions, which were my love for numbers and my desire to build or create something. So Initially, out of business school, I started in the what I call the build world, where I started with Olive Garden restaurant chain, which mm-hmm. was owned at the time by General Mills. And we took it from one restaurant to many. And then I flipped to Wall Street and went to work at Goldman in using that number side and the strictly financial side. And then I flipped again when a venture capitalist encouraged me to go to work running all of the operations for an indoor children's amusement park. So again, the build theme. And then I ended up in my favorite job, which I thought kind of bridged both worlds. And that was, I went to Kidder Peabody, which was then later bought by Payne Weber, building their real estate investment banking division. So it gave me both the build and the numbers. So that was kind of my path from business school through to before I took my break. Wow. What a path that was, a lot of really amazing experiences. So what precipitated your career break and how long were you on career break? Uh, It actually was not planned and came up pretty suddenly in that I had just had my first child and my husband ended up in San Francisco for 10 days and I ended up in Europe for 10 days on a roadshow. And we came back and looked at each other and said, "Mm, this is probably not going to (laughs) work with two very high powered careers. And we just had to sit down and have it out. Like who's going to take the time off? And both of our, neither one of our careers were the type that you could do it part time. 
they were very high intensity. So I ended up take, deciding that I would take the time off uh, and didn't even really know for how long that would be mm-hmm. and just resigned and went to being a full-time stay-at-home mom. Wow. So that was kind of like you, you just did this overnight, uh, a complete transition in uh, one fell swoop. So very interesting. Um, how was that for you? Did Was it shocking? You were going a million miles an hour. You're doing like all of these very high level, interesting professional things. And all of a sudden you do an about face and you're home with your new baby. It was very shocking. I think it was this, it was even more shocking to the people around me who I had worked with because they were like, this, you're never going to survive this. <laughs> this is not who you are. Um, and I think not uncommon for many people who do that, I ended up getting involved. Like on the finance board of our parish, um, my children went to a parochial school. So I got involved in a marketing campaign to, to and capital campaign to expand that and so, you know, I went to work for the Junior League and ran their secondhand store. So you find, I think you find ways to keep that challenge in your life. Yes, this is how these organizations often end up with amazing talent is, is when people who have careers like yours uh, take a career break and then channel it into these volunteer roles. So great illustration of that. So. You were on career break for, it turned out to be 15 years. And you said you didn't really know how long you were going to be on career break for. So is it kind of just like one year led to the other or were there any events that happened that prolonged your career break? And then how did you know you were ready to go back? Yeah, things, one did lead to another and that one child led to two, led to three. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that always expands the workload. Yeah, Uh, And then... I got so involved in all these activities that then to extract yourself from them uh, became another struggle. So what happened was eventually the girls got to the age where they don't want mom around anymore. And I found myself lonely and bored and really missing that external stimulus, the challenge of working. And I also looked around and felt like it wasn't good for my kids. Uh-huh. They were not as independent as they should be. So I felt going back to work would do a, a number of things. It would help me because I really was missing it. Two, it would help set an example for my girls that you can do it all and that mom is more than just mom. And it made them more independent. They couldn't call me to come bring their homework to school anymore. Uh-huh. That's so important when we talk about the transition and the decision to go back and you're hitting on a number of different points. One is role modeling. So you're role modeling for your children um, and this idea of making them more independent. And you know you have to prepare the night before because yeah, if you forget your clarinet tomorrow, I'm not gonna be available or you're saying your homework to, to bring it over to school. So it does make your kids more independent. And, and I should say, if that's why you took your career break, we have pr- plenty of listeners who are listening who took career breaks for reasons that have nothing to do with childcare. But if kids are involved, this is definitely a factor. And there was one other thing you mentioned, and that was you had to extract yourself from those volunteer roles that you were so committed to. And also you were probably the key person in a number of them, I'm sure. 
And, and that's a step two is when to start saying no, when to start saying, yep, I, I decided now I'm going to be focusing on going back to work and I'm not going to run that huge annual fundraiser this year. We're going to need to get another person to do it. Again, very important step because what you don't, you also don't want to leave them dramatic. You don't want to leave them dramatically because they can be your source of references when you start to go back to work. Mm, that's a really good point. That too. So Diane, what were some of the first steps you took to go back? And did you go through any evaluation about, am I going back to what, what I left or something different? And so what was your process? A lot of reflection, a lot of reflection. I took a probably from the moment I said, you know, I think I need to go back to work. And I can remember very clearly saying that to my family and them all looking at me and going, we think so too, <laughs> which was <laughs> a very chilling moment. Too. And they're like, go, go mom, go. So I, it was probably about six months and I took, I spent a lot of, a lot of time doing a lot of things. One was I started looking at all of the job ads and all the different boards to think about like, what kind of jobs are out there? I knew I wasn't going to go back to investment banking and work on Wall Street. So what was I going to do? So what looking at what all was out there, and then I did a lot of reflection about what did I love about my job? What didn't I like about my job? And then putting some hard lines in the sand, like what am I not willing to do? Mm. And, and what am I willing to do? So by the time I really started applying for jobs, it, it wasn't like I was throwing my resume out to millions of jobs. I was really targeting very specific roles and jobs that I had given a lot of thought to about what I wanted and didn't want and what I was considering a second career. And, you know, for example, I didn't want to build a second career and then risk having moving again and lose it and have to start all over. It, it was daunting to me that I was going to have to start over and build a second career. So when the remote, because my first job going back and all my jobs have been for the last eight years remote, ah. was extremely appealing to me for that reason. If we end up moving, I don't have to rebuild. My job can go with me. So one example of a line I had put in the sand was, I don't want to have to start rebuilding my career again. Right. So, wow. Remote eight years ago, you were ahead of your time, Diane. <laughs> now, I yeah, it was now. very unusual. Back then. <laughs> <laughs> and how were you able to even pinpoint or find jobs that had a remote component to them? It was remote when I looked at it. I didn't specifically target remote. I was just looking for a lot of jobs in the New England area, commuting distance from where I was that might have opportunities. I knew there was a risk we might move north. And so would it allow a two to three day in the office, which a lot of companies were already starting to do that just because of commutes. So I was seeing a lot of those kind of jobs. And then there were boards starting to pop up that specialize in flexible work. I see. Okay, interesting. And, you know, I really like how you point out that as you were looking for as much as what you wanted to do, as much as what you were not willing to do. And, and to really look on both sides of the ledger there. And, and I think um, that that's an important lesson for people to take away. So how did you act, like give us some sort of play-by-play -play actual steps that you took when you got your first job back? Did you know someone? Did you blindly apply? Like how did you end up getting the job? 
the job I actually got was a blind apply, which surprised me because a lot of it was reaching out and trying to find people and connections to think of, you know, find ways into getting a job. But this was actually a blind apply. And it was a blind, I had really decided that I would love to go back to work in the not-for-profit world. That was one of my big, you know, high on the list of desire. I want to give back. Life has been good to me. And it was also in a sector that really appealed to me, education. It And so when I saw the job come through, it was, I just had this moment where I looked at this job and I said, oh my goodness, this is the dream job. Mm. It's remote. It's close. It's in New York City. It's my passion. It's not for profit. It's finance. It sounds like it's a little bit of a build here. And so I really, really wanted it, but it was a blind apply. I think because it was in the not for profit world, there was a little bit better shot at getting uh, getting in and getting an interview on a blind apply because we're always needing help and not for profit. Mm -hmm. So originally, did you come up on the accounting side before you got into more broadly into finance? And when you were going back to this finance role after 15 years away, did you have to take coursework or was there something you were doing on career break that was keeping you current? I wouldn't say coursework per se. Yes, I my undergraduate degree is accounting and I did pass my CPA. I did not keep it up. Mm -hmm. So when I was looking at jobs to go back in, I knew that if I did a strict, strictly accounting, I would have a lot more coursework to do, but that isn't where my heart lies. My heart lies on more of the analysis and budgeting and strategic kind of finance. I also think that's where I add value, but that still meant I had to do a lot. I mean, I had been on break from 15 years. When I left the working world, email was brand new as was the internet. <laughs> so it was, it was a 15, I mean, the computer, I can remember hauling a computer that was 40 pounds and calling it a portable computer onto an airplane. So I had a lot to do. And fortunately, there were different online tools that you could go to to teach yourself Outlook, to teach yourself PowerPoint, Excel. So I spent a lot of time getting, I basically looked at my daughter's and my husband and anyone I could find who was working in similar finance careers and asking, what are the tools you're using? What do I need to learn? And then I just got on and used these tools to teach it to myself, to reteach myself Excel, because when I left, it was Lotus. Uh -huh. So that by the time I was even looking for a job, I was adept at email and the Word documents and all the different software that what I would need. So not per se course, but more the technology and the tools that companies were using. Hmm. And so take us back to the first weeks, months, year on that job. I tell it, maybe can you tell us what you ended up doing and, and how did you feel when you were back? Like, did it take a while to get your bearings again? Or did you feel like it was fairly smooth since you had done all this prep with, with uh, the the managed office productivity tools? I would say terrifying. Mm. The word terror, like that for, I mean, there's a first day is always unnerving, but a first day after a 15 year hiatus is terrifying. Right. And so those first days and weeks were really, really scary. So one thing I had done is I had sat down with the, my family and done my best to say, okay, 
this is how the world's going to change. Mommy's going to be working. You know, mommy's going to need to put a lot of time in in the evening because she's new going back to work. So she's going to need extra time to do things that might take somebody else less time to do. And I just kind of prep them. Was it successful? Not always. Uh (laughs) The little one kind of would resist it and and that. But setting the stage, I think, and knowing going in that it was going to be difficult. And then those first few weeks, I put in a lot of hours just because trying to overperform, making sure I was reading everything, learning as much as I could, and and trying to make sure I was setting an example that, yes, you can come back and be productive. And I would say it was about three months in, somewhere between two and three months in, where I thought, oh, I, I do still have it. I can think strategically. I can solve problems. I can add value. And I really felt, okay, I'm going to make it. I didn't feel really comfortable probably for a year, Uh but I would say it was somewhere around the two to three month where the, the terror of, can I really do this went away? And I felt, yes, I can do this. Uh Ah, Thank you for bringing us back to that moment. And that was like eight years ago. So it seems like you remember it vividly. Very vividly. I I can picture the desk I was sitting at and those first few moments and those first few calls. And yeah, it was pretty scary. Wow. And so now that you've been back at it eight years and and you have had a job change in the middle of it, how do you look back on it? Would you have changed anything in your process or or how how you did it? Hmm. I don't, I'm not sure I would have done anything specifically differently in the process. I think, I guess if I look back and think, Nowadays, there's much more help when you want to go back. It was relatively new back then. And so as part of interviewing for the job, I literally had to pull articles about return to work and how people can do it and how the pluses to hiring a return to worker and send them to TNTP, to the person I would be reporting to, to convince them I could do it. I really had to sell. So I think that part has changed Mm -hmm. where I think If I had something I could do over differently, it's more, I think there's two gaps. When I look backwards, I, when I went to leave my job and I think when people, whether they make the decision for family or some might make the decision because of someone's ill or they just are burnout and want to take a break. I think there's a real gap there. I call it the help. I'm going to take a career break, but I know I want to come back. So what should I do? Mm. Because if I had known at that point there were a lot of things I could have done that would have made it easier. Stay in touch with your colleagues. Even though you're not working, stay in touch. Uh, one interesting thing happened was when they asked me for references and I was like, uh, I haven't talked to my bosses in 15 years. Mm-hmm. You know, So I think there was a, there's a real gap there in when somebody's getting ready to take that career path, that career gap, if there were tools that we could educate people on that would help them so that when they are ready to come back, they've already built a lot of what they need or they haven't let things lapse. Like don't let your CPA lapse, you know, something like that. So I think that was a gap. And then looking forward, I'm now seeing another one help. I want to retire, but not really. (laughs) I still want to work. And so I'm kind of seeing those two ends where there's like this opportunity for even more of the kind of stuff that that your organization has done where 
it's not the traditional career trajectory anymore. Yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, we define relaunchers very broadly. So it's still the case that the dominant subset of the relaunching population are women who take career breaks for childcare reasons. But, you know, men who do that, men do that now, and men and women take career breaks for a whole range of reasons. And one of the categories are retirees coming out of retirement. So um, yep. we are seeing that happen. And, you know, you're touching on a lot of the reason that I relaunch exists uh, for the resources and tools that we provide individuals. We, we're doing primarily most of our work on the employer side now to work with employers to create these formal in-house return to work programs. But we also have, you know, 83,000 people in our relauncher community. At this point, I know there'll be people listening to this podcast at different times and that number is always increasing. But, you know, putting out to the relauncher population ideas about when you're leaving and going on your career break to document your experiences to nurture those relationships and in, in part so you can have that reference later on and to keep up licenses. I think we just did a recent podcast with a social worker who returned to work after a 25 year career break. She's one of our longest career breaks on record. And she said, I almost didn't finish my licensing before my career break. And I was so glad that I did because if I hadn't, I think I kind of never would have gone back to it. And then she kept it up. Um, through the entire 25 years that she was on career break. So that's a, that's a really important piece. What did you end up doing for the references? I actually reached back out. Yes. <laughs> I Tell reached us about back. That. I, I want our audience to hear. And well, <laughs> I was really, really close to some of the, my mentors on Wall Street. Um, and even though I hadn't kept in touch with them, there was enough social media out there that I could find them. And I just took a chance. I was, I had a, the job offer contingent upon references and they weren't willing to accept just my volunteer references. So I took a chance and reached out to them and it was actually really fun because they were so thrilled to give me a reference and to hear that I was going back to work, but it could have been really challenging if I hadn't been able to find them. Mm -hmm. I, I have to stop here and, and, and emphasize what you're talking about because we have relaunchers who've been out for an extended period of time who have told us that their reference came from their boss from 14 years before or 15 years before. And the original thought was, A, they're not going to remember me, and B, they're going to be mad at me because I, I haven't been in touch with them all this time and won't be in the best frame of mind for giving a reference, both of which have proven to be untrue repeatedly. And now you're illustrating that. Yeah. So you just randomly reached out to them and then they reconnected and they were thrilled to give you that reference. Yeah, they're thrilled. I, and I, you know, if I th reflect on it and think I would be the same, if yeah. an employee that was really good that reached out to me, I'd be like, oh, sure, I'll do that. But, it, you know, I think some of it too is that mindset when you're getting ready to go back to work, there's a lot of self-doubt. And I think the fact that you're afraid to reach out to those people is just another example of that, how it can be a very scary experience. Yes. Wow. Well, that's great. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. I have a slightly off topic question to ask you, and that is, how did you write such a great LinkedIn profile? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's funny, because I never really was on LinkedIn much. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I need a LinkedIn. Like, 
why don't I have a LinkedIn? And so I'm a, I'm a math person, not an English person. So I did reach out and ask for professional help. And the woman that I ended up working with did it from a completely different perspective. She asked me a lot of questions and to think about who I was and what made me different, kind of the same process I went a similar process to what I went through when I was thinking about going back to work Mm -hmm. and trying to capture the essence of who I am. And then through those questions, I was able to take it, you know, write some drafts and then have someone help edit it. Because again, I'm a math, not an English person. So, but it was really her guidance on reflecting upon how to identify what makes you really unique and what your passions are. And my passion is definitely the building, the challenge Interesting. Well, I I hope our audience is listening there too, because sometimes it's appropriate to bring in someone to help you either as a coach for your resume or your LinkedIn profile. I think I brought someone in to help me update myself on some of these office, you know, productivity tools because it was so long ago. They didn't have as the kind of coursework that they do now. So I I remember relying on that. So sometimes relying on on experts and professionals to help you in the process, especially when you're at a moment where you're hesitant to invest in yourself because you haven't brought in income up to that point, you're on career break. That's exactly the time when it's when you should be investing. So that's something to, to think about too. I I remember an offshoot of that was when I had let my subscription to the Wall Street Journal go. And I didn't want to spend the money to uh, keep it up while I was on career break because I thought it was too expensive. But when I was getting serious about going back to work, I realized I got to get the Wall Street Journal again. And I have to spend six months reading the Wall Street Journal cover to cover to even understand what's going on um, in the investment world before I start applying for jobs. So that was that was the stuff that I had to. Yeah, I agree. It, it makes sense to invest in yourself. I mean, the, the resume style had just had changed as well. So on that, I did write my own, but I spent a lot of time going and looking at new resumes and realized trying to figure out what is the new way it looks. Yes, exactly. All right. So Diane, we're wrapping up right now. And I wanted to close by asking you the, I, the question that we ask all of our podcast guests. And that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today? Oh, I think I would go back to the really taking the time to pause and think about who you were, but who, and more importantly, who you are now when you're looking to go back and figuring out the next career you want. It, and I guess I would, I would use this phrase. Think of relaunching not as a challenge, but as an opportunity. Mm, I like that. Uh, that's, a, that's a great um, frame of mind to be in when, when you're on the journey. And, you know, especially if it's taking longer than you're anticipating it to take. Actually, I have one more additional question for you. It has to do with the role you have now with the National Math and Science Initiative. Can you please tell us what the National Math and Science Initiative is? Oh, I would love to. We're a large not-for-profit who is in the STEM educational sector. And what we do 
is we go in and work on advanced placement courses. So we go wherever there are deserts, either inner city or rural, for access to advanced placement. And we're starting to get into dual enrollment for students, particularly in the STEM career path. So we will educate teachers on how to teach an AP course. And then we work with them to develop um, study sessions and skills so that the students pass. So basically college readiness, advanced placement courses for those furthest from the opportunity. Hmm. And our, our statistics are quite impressive in terms of how many kids get access to and then get a passing score and it helps really prepare them for college. That sounds like amazing work. For our audience who might want to know more information about the National Math and Science Initiative, can you please give us the website uh, URL for it? Sure. If you go to www.nms.org. Great, NMS, like National Math and Science, um, dot org is the website. Thank you. Diane, thank you very much for joining us today. It was great. I appreciate you having me. It's a very enjoyable conversation. And thanks for listening to 321 iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on our relaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to irelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.